Welcome to your Active Stack Brief podcast. My name is Luca Bertuzzi, your technology editor. This week, we take a closer look at the UK's latest move in the competition field. For an overview of all things technology in the EU, sign up to our free newsletter or visit the website youractive.com. This is your Active Stack Brief podcast. Today, I'm joined by Verity Egerton-Doyle and William Leslie, partners in Linklater's antitrust and foreign investment practice. Hello, both. Hi, thanks for having us. Hi. And thank you for joining us. Um, So the UK is working on the digital markets, competition and consumer bills. Can you give us an overview on on this legislative proposal and what it means uh, from a competition point of view? Yeah, of course, I, I can kick off on that. Um, so the, the bill introduces really the most significant reforms to competition and consumer law for several decades. And there are three main there are three main parts to the bill. The first is some reforms to competition law, which are, you know, significant, although uh, not completely game changing. Um, the, the second part is um which is more significant is the introduction of a new regime for the very largest tech companies. So it's called the strategic market status regime. And under this new regime, the UK's competition and markets authority is going to be given a vast swathe of new powers um, to, which are aimed at allowing it to monitor and where appropriate curtail the market power of the largest tech companies. So there are really um, kind of three main parts to the strategic market status regime. Um, the, the first is that it allows the um, allows the Competition and Markets Authority to designate businesses as having a strategic market status. And where those businesses are designated, um, it will impose on them a bespoke firm-specific code of conduct, which will set specific rules for how each firm is able to go about its business. It's likely to include a list of kind of permitted types of conduct requirements, um, permitted types of conduct, as well as things that um, firms would be expected not to do, um, likely including things like preferencing their own products and services uh, over those of their competitors. So that um, will set up kind of a code of conduct which will be monitored by the Digital Markets Unit, which sits within the CMA, um, and there will be fines of up to 10% for breaching the code of conduct. The second aspect is that the Digital Markets Unit will have the power to impose what are called pro-competition interventions. Um, And these really go beyond day-to-day conduct of the designated firm, um, but try to look at the root causes of market power that a firm might have and include things like potentially ordering access to data um, or even theoretically ordering kind of separation of business units. And and then the third third aspect um, is that it will bring in for strategic market status firms um, mandatory reporting of acquisitions. Um, So firms that have been designated will be required to report all transactions that meet certain thresholds um, to the Competition and Markets Authority, and then the Competition and Markets Authority will be able to choose whether to look at those in more detail or not. So that's the second part of the re- second part of the bill. And then the third part, which is also really significant, is it significantly strengthens consumer law in the UK and gives the Competition and Markets Authority the power to directly enforce consumer law and impose fines of up to 10% of global turnover for breaches of consumer law. 
Right. So uh, I understand the law is in the UK Parliament right now. Can you give us an overview on uh, where it stands in the legislative process? What can we expect in the coming weeks? And, uh, you know, if, uh, if any significant amendment uh, could still get through at this stage? Of course. So the, the bill um, went up to the Lords from the Commons in December last year, and we're coming up on the 22nd of January. Um, the House of Lords will have committee stage um, in which it will go through and scrutinise the bill line by line. There have been already in the Lord stage a number of proposals um, for further reforms to the bill. A number of reforms to the bill were brought in um, in the second reading in the common stage. Um, it's kind of not yet clear uh, which of those might get legs to actually see the bill further amended, um, but it's not expected there'll be further really significant changes. I think what we really expect is to see a pretty similar form of the bill to that which left the Commons in December um, get royal assent probably um, sometime around Easter. After Brexit, we have seen that the CMA has regained its role as an influential competition enforcer. Uh, on certain cases like the OpenAI, Microsoft partnership, it seems to be leading the way since now also the Commission has started to look at this uh, from the lenses of a potential merger. So do you see a competition among competition authorities, uh, for instance, with the US FTC and the European Commission? And, and how do you think that uh, the CMA has positioned itself uh, in this uh, scenario? I'll come in first on this. I think in terms of a competition, um, maybe I guess there is a level of competition between competition authorities, although I, I wouldn't put it in that in that way um, precisely. I, I think that authorities, especially on issues relating to big tech, which obviously you know goes well beyond borders and is a truly global industry, um, there is a lot of cooperation between authorities, but also different authorities are taking the lead on different aspects of um, a kind of looking at big tech. Now, the CMA has always been a bit of a leader in the merger control space, um, and especially since Brexit. And that's because the CMA's jurisdictional rules for merger control are much broader um, than the rules in most other jurisdictions in the world. So that has meant that the CMA is able to look at mergers that many other authorities have historically not been able to look at. And that includes the European Commission up until the European Commission took a new approach to its jurisdictional rules a few years ago. Um, so that's seen the CMA kind of lead the way on a number of tech deals. And I think on the flip side, because the CMA actually did review a number of historical tech deals, you know, Facebook, Instagram, the CMA reviewed, many other authorities did not. I think the CMA has been in a position of uh, feeling particularly exposed for perceived historical under enforcement in the merger control space. And we have seen that play through with kind of quite aggressive enforcement in uh, in the tech space uh, on the merger control front. But of course, there's now a really global consensus around that. Um, the other area where the CMA has quite an advantage over other authorities, um, and in particular over the FTC and the DOJ in the US, is that the CMA doesn't need to go to court to block a deal. Um, the CMA can block a deal with its administrative powers. That can then be challenged in court, but only on the standard of judicial review. And what, what that is in practice is a really difficult standard for parties to overcome. And that means that the CMA just has a lot, a lot more power really um, than other authorities in practice, and it's enabled it to be a leader. I don't know, Will, if you have kind of additional thoughts on that. 
No, I think I, I think I agree with that. I think it's always worth putting potential divergence into perspective, which is that on the vast majority of cases, regulators agree. Um, and so when we focus on what we described as the tough cases at the frontier of competition policy, you can understand where there may be minor issues that aren't necessarily reflective of big divergences, but are more just thinking thinking through the issues and how they each want to approach them. And so just to follow up on that, can we expect the CMA to take an even bolder role uh, in this space when the new uh, bill will become law? Well, I think that's a million, probably billion, trillion dollar question, really. Um, because on, on the one hand, as, as Will said, the CMA is going to have actually much more extensive powers than the Commission has under the Digital Markets Act. On, on the other hand, you know, the UK is, um, compared to Europe, actually a small economy. Um, there's a lot of pressure from the government to ensure that the UK looks um, open to business, that the UK is a good place to um, both to start and scale a tech company, but also to operate as, as a big tech company. And so, you know, there has been a lot of noise over, especially over the last year, about whether, you know, there's a risk of over-enforcement that could turn tech firms away from the UK and see them um, turn their backs on the UK. And so I think in the way the CMA goes about administering the new regime um, and using its new powers, it will be mindful of that. And in fact, just, just today, the CMA has put out a, um, a paper explaining how it intends to administer the regime. And that's really focused on um, being targeted, being proportionate. Um, it, it's obviously a document that is really intended to reassure Parliament that the CMA can be trusted with these powers. Um, but, but, you know, the document says the CMA will look to competition first as the first step. They'll only intervene when they think competition can't work. And it also makes a big point of the CMA intervening in a technology agnostic way. So, on the one hand, yes, the CMA could go further. I'm sure in some places they will go further. So, for example, you know, the Digital Markets Act doesn't cover generative AI because its text was settled before the kind of explosion of that. I'm sure the CMA will want to do some things, you know, using the broader powers that it has. But I think it'll be really mindful of not overstepping and of ensuring that the UK um, kind of remains an attractive place to start scale tech businesses and as well as to run a really significant tech business. Yeah, I think I can only ag agree with that. I think the fact that the CMA has broader powers doesn't mean you're likely to see a very different regime necessarily. And they'll obviously be cognizant of the fact that they don't want to diverge for divergence sake and that there's actually a benefit in aligning where there is the opportunity, opportunity to do so. And so I think that's a really important factor in terms of what companies are thinking about will play out in the years ahead as these, regi as these regimes are rolled out. Because I think it's very much all to play for rather than we necessarily know what's going to happen. So as lawyers, you must be advising companies how to navigate this increasingly complex uh, regulatory patchwork. Um, if you're a tech company, you're seeing uh, increasing regulatory attention from Brussels, from London, from Washington, D.C. Um, how do you navigate all of this? Uh, how do you think that companies should react to uh, new developments like the UK Digital Markets Bill and the EU Digital Markets Act? And to what extent are these developments good news for tech companies and to what extent will they impact uh, consumers? The sort of first point is to bear in mind that obviously from the perspective of all companies, they're trying to understand what the scope of their new obligations and rights are. And I think that's a, a process which you go through as a commercial organization to, to understand what the relative costs and benefits of, of the various changes are. I think the, the thing you would take away in terms of what the likely impact is 
is that it frankly is probably a little bit early to tell. So if you look at the DMA, the rules will only come into force in March. I think Verity can talk to the DMCC, but it's going to be significantly later than that. So what, what the impact will be for both of the firms in terms of how they implement the act and how other third parties may take advantage of it, equally in terms of what that impact is on consumers, is yet to be seen. I think one of the really big questions is sort of not only saying, is it going to be a big impact one way or the other in terms of impact on consumers, or is actually it going to be relatively limited in terms of its impact? And I think these are the sorts of questions which people are really focused on in, in the years to come. Yeah, and, and I think, Luca, to your earlier point, there, there certainly is a level of, you know, competition um, between different countries in the world to, you know, to ensure that they are attractive places for tech businesses. And, you know, you see that um, really in terms of AI regulation. Obviously, the EU passed the AI Act at the end of last year. Um, the UK has taken an approach of saying we're going to have a light touch approach to AI regulation. We're going to use existing regulations and we're not going to bring in specific new legislation. Now, you know, how exactly that plays out in practice um, is not that clear because, you know, perhaps you start a business that um, is, you know, developing AI in the UK. But actually, if you want to use those technologies outside the UK, you want to use them in Europe, you're going to have to build them compliant with the AI Act. So there's, you know, there's going to be this dynamic that evolves over the next few years where um, there will be certainly a level of competition between different countries to to attract the top tech talent. But equally, you know, anyone who wants to get scale, anyone who wants to be running on a global basis is going to have to be compliant with, you know, the laws in really major economies like the EU. Whether we see companies conform to a kind of lowest common denominator or really highest common denominator of complying with regulation, as we've seen, um, for example, with the GDPR, um, you know, that that's one outcome we could get to. Equally, we could well see um, just businesses become a bit more sophisticated and, you know, flex the way that they do business in different countries in the world. And it will be a commercial question really for businesses of whether the gains from that, um, from that potential kind of regulatory arbitrage, um, outweigh the costs. William Leslie and Verity Egerton-Doyle are partners in Linklater's antitrust and foreign investment practice. Thank you both. That's all we got time for this week. Don't forget to sign up to our free Tech Brief newsletter to stay on top of tech news and digital policy developments in the EU and beyond. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast published on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Amazon Music. This episode was produced with the technical help of Avi Curie. I'm your Luca Bertuzzi and thank you for listening.